remain standing, if you will, and let's, uh, let's read Colossians 3 together. It's on the screen. Um, I'll read it out loud, and you follow along with me. Colossians 3, 5 to 17, nice little chunk of Scripture. Last week, we only read four verses, a few more this Sunday. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Welcome to church this morning. (laughs) In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Do you see a theme? And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 11, I love this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, brides want this quoted at their wedding, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Every marriage needs this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, bless the hearing of your word. May we receive it today. Lord, not a, not a performance from the preacher, but I pray, Lord, that we ourselves would see our part in being receptive to what you might have for us. For the believer that wants to grow deeper, may they be blessed. For the cynic, for the skeptic who is unsure, may they be open. In Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, it's um, preachers uh, want to skip over certain verses, and Colossians 3, I was tempted to do that, but as I studied it this week and wrestled with it, it just made me appreciate this writer, Paul, one of the few human beings. Uh, we elevate him, not in worship, of course, but we elevate him as a planter, as a pastor. Uh, he helped shape the history of human thought and the direction of humanity when God um, touched his life and changed him dramatically. And I'm so appreciative that in this letter to the Colossians and now to us, that sin gets identified and it gets named. Now, I don't want you to name my sin. I don't want you to identify my sin, all right? So back up, leave me alone if you know me or see me. But no, for real, like imagine with me if... If, we, if, if cancer or depression didn't have a name, like the, what's bad and what hurts and what, what gets the best of us, what disintegrates you and I, it needs to be identified. We need an awareness of it. I think it's why the scripture tells us many times over to not be deceived. It's because we get deceived. Galatians 6, do not be deceived. Whatever you sow, that will, you will reap. 1 John 1, do not be deceived. Do not deceive yourselves by saying that you don't have sin or even these sins. Because if you do, the truth of God is not in you. You have broken fellowship with God and with one another. Don't deceive yourselves. So sin, we need to have an awareness of it. We need to identify it so that it can be, so that our heart can have a surgeon, that our soul can have a friend. I like the soul having a friend, right? But the heart having a surgeon means that it hurts. There's cutting. you got to get knocked out. There's recovery afterwards. Other people are likely to get involved when Jesus is doing surgery on your heart. 
when I was little, like some of you maybe, I knew I learned a song. I know it by heart, but it goes like this: "What can wash away my sin?" And I used to think, in growing up, that uh, that was for religious people, kind of weird, insular religious people with all the jargon and verbiage in that song. But here's what I know: I'm not even playing pop psychologist. I'm just a fellow human talking to other fellow human beings, but everybody asks that question in their own way. What can wash away our sin? And Paul just right out of the gate in Colossians 3, remember last week he talked about setting your affections, your mind on the things above, not on the earthly things. But then he calls out some things that fracture us, that hurt us, that disintegrate us. And everybody in the room, everybody in the room asks that question, what can wash away my sins? What's the next word in that song? Nothing. Nothing. At the 9.30, they sang the whole chorus. It was unruly in here. (laughs) Nothing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing. And every ism and schism, every religion, despite its virtues and compassion and life change and whatnot, every sect, every branch, every philosophy says something about it. Here's what you can do with your regret. Here's what you can do with your guilt. Here's how you can wash away your sin. But Jesus is unique. Like, accept him or not, but Jesus is unique because no other person ever said what he said. Nothing can wash away your sins. I am the only. He didn't offer us some solution. He said, I am the solution. So either he is um, a lunatic, he's insane, or maybe there's something to this man that warrants our attention. And I would even say, our allegiance, what can wash away my sin? We all have that question. It was funny this week on uh, Wednesday, Thursday of this week, I was in our gym because we're doing some renovations that I'm <clears throat> beyond excited about. And there's an old Woodland Hills Baptist Academy room. <clears throat> and for some time, we've been wondering, what are we going to do with this room? Because it's got memorabilia, collectibles, keepsakes. It's got yearbooks. And as you can see, I'm putting it in front of you now. It's got composites of the classes. And this is class of 1984. And after the first service, the 930 service, someone came up. She saw her dad in it, and she wants to claim it. I hit her on the wrist and said, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> but here's what's funny. We were throwing some stuff in the dumpster, you know, tearing out ceiling tiles and knocking things down just for our future to bring light and life into this space. But no way could I stand there and throw away yearbooks or pictures like this. And so we set it all to the side, and we're, um, I started texting people about my age, saying, hey, you know anybody in this class or that class? It was fun, the responses I got. But one guy in particular who was here and moved away, I texted him and said, hey, I found your composite, your graduating class at Woodland Hills Baptist Academy. Do you want it? Come get it next time you're in town. And his response was different than the rest. He said, um, no, I don't think my, my current wife would want the photo of me and my second wife uh, in our living room or hallway or my study or anything. Another guy texts, oh, I see you, I see you. We went to college, good. I see you, I got, I got this. Do you want to come get it? It's yours. It's your whole class from, you know, 20-something years ago and longer than that. And, and he goes, and I said, you, I mean, you, it's you, right? You, you know, like me, you, don't, you had hair and you don't, but it's you, right? And he's like, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I went there. I'm like, these memories and the people, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I think he was okay. Kind of glad to hear from me, but he didn't, he didn't want it. He didn't want his version of this because those aren't good memories. He didn't like those years. He didn't like who he was. He didn't like the decisions that he made. I, I went there, but I don't want to talk about it. Those are years I would rather forget. What can wash away my sin? 
It can be like that for so many people. I don't want to go back to that place. I don't want to drive down that road. I can't walk into that place. I hope I don't see so-and-so. I didn't like who I was. And Paul, I ask you when we're reading it, do you see a theme? And the theme would be this if you're a note taker. One side of your page, just write old humanity. And on the other side, write new identity. Last night, I pulled up to the bridge to pray for our city and to look at the flooding. And I I got as far as I could pedestrian-wise past the JPD. I wasn't the only one. I was taking some video. As I began to walk back, uh, some folks were engaging me in conversation. And a guy goes, hey, I know you, I know you. And I was walking kind of briskly. I had a sermon to prepare. I was trying to get back here. And he goes, I, I, I recognize you. And then he, he said, Gene Hackman, you look just like Gene Hackman, by the way. I'm like, I hear it all the time. I'm kind of sick of it. Gene Hackman is now 87 years old. And we were just talking just a little bit. And honestly, I was kind of lazy. I wasn't in my most relational mode. He goes, man, floodwater is going to, he pointed. He goes, yeah, hoping it doesn't get up here in this strip club. I'm like, okay. I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm praying actually that it strip, floods the strip club and, and everybody in it. Um, another gentleman, uh, as we took a right, I was walking to my truck and he goes, I was, that was me. That was my life. I used to be that. I used to go there. I used to do that. I, that was me. I love what Paul says here. I once walked. I lived that way. That used to be me. Anybody pick up on the metaphor? Uh, men, we, we're more engaged probably with Ephesians 6. Like, you know, it's a spiritual battle. Put on the, the armor, the breastplate, and the sword, and the shield. In Colossians 4, Paul says, hey, it's a wardrobe. What not to wear? Say yes to the dress. I could have done some scholarly research watching the TLC or whatever for this sermon, but I've, I've walked through the room when my wife or daughter have been watching those shows, and I know kind of the premise is that wardrobe's a big deal, and there are things that look good on you and things that don't look good on you. Anybody ever heard that recently? It stings, doesn't it, when somebody says, hey, you don't, that doesn't look good on you. And Paul is saying here, here's some things that don't look good on you. Old humanity, impurity immorality, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is also idolatry. He's not done anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene speech. Hey, it's not just locker room talk. It matters. I got three kids and I tell my two boys, it matters how you talk. It matters that you respect women. And there there are some things that don't need to be in your speech. There are some things that don't look good on you or me. And so Paul, I love this, he's, he's relating character to a wardrobe. And there are some things as a follower of Jesus that don't look good on you. And sin uh, is described as a battle. When I was a boy, I'm, I'm really going to confess something terrible here and show a picture that I shouldn't show in church, but when I was a little boy, I liked wrestling. Anybody wake up and watch wrestling that they broadcast from Memphis? So this is the 70s wrestling from Memphis. It's, it is what it is. Recognize these guys? Anybody? Shout out if you do. On the left. All right. On the right. Guy that needs to shave, right? Uh, really, nobody? Yeah. But uh, correct answer, Jerry the King Lawler. So thanks for playing. 
This was my guy here. Now think about it. I wanted to watch it on Saturday morning with my Captain Crunch. I wanted my parents one time to take me and some friends to Memphis to see Jerry the King Lawler wrestle Andre the Giant. Like it was a battle and we wanted to pay money and it was a spectacle. It was entertainment and we like that. There's something about us that likes a good battle. But think about like when I was in fifth grade, the year this was taken, I had three posters on my wall, Farrah Fawcett, Kiss, and Jerry the King Lawler. Amazing, the phases and stages parents (laughs) let their kids go through. This has helped me parent, by the way, when I realized what I went through, what my parents allowed me to go through. But uh, take that picture down now, please. Um, (laughs) Lunch is not so appetizing anymore, is it? But... It's, it's kind of remarkable to me that we uh, want to watch battles. We're drawn to the drama, the epic good versus evil. Uh, we pay money. We do so at a great cost, and we do that for entertainment, but we're in a real battle that in many ways hardly gets our attention. 1 Peter 2.11, a phrase from it says this, um, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And the soul is you. It's, uh, we did a whole sermon series uh, after Easter last year. The soul is the deepest part of you. It's the integrated you. It's the eternal you. It's the you that wraps up your will. That is your intention, your mind, thoughts, um, conscience, um, desires, and then your body, movement, action, who, you, who people see you to be the outward person. The soul is that integrated. It's the whole you. And Peter, a counterpart, Paul would say, there's a war and these sins, look, we call them out like a physician would cancer or depression because it needs to be treated. My brother between services, 9, 30, and 11, was telling me about his own treatment. We've been praying for him and his travel to MD Anderson and what's next for him. But I know he hates having it. We hate that he has it. His wife hates that he has it. But I know they're glad that there are doctors who've identified it and there's awareness of it and they're seeking to treat it. And that's what you and I need to do with this thing called sin. This sin that wages war. What can wash away our sin? You can't and I can't. But there's this war that rages. And so, note takers, you wrote wrote old humanity and you, you see that list, that helpful list that Paul gives us and then write new identity and there he talks about compassion and kindness you you read it with along with me compassion and kindness humility meekness and patience and oh by the way love forgiveness and gratitude to top it off this weekend my heart was really full thinking about or reading this and then thinking about you guys thinking about how gifted uh, we are Thinking about a a, a pastor like Nick Crawford, who has so much kindness and compassion. Van, you're not so bad yourself. But how blessed we are to, uh, this isn't a performance review, by the way, just letting you know that we appreciate you guys for real. But just, I was just thinking about these guys in particular and so many who serve and the blessing I have. And even though I'm the older one on our staff team, I can, I can look at these young guys and I see some character traits that I want in my life in greater measure. And I don't know how 
people define our church or how you would define our church, if you had to fill in the blank and say Fondren Church is a blank church, I don't know what you would say. But it seems like uh, more and more we're becoming a serving church. And I love that. That compassion is really getting in our people. And we're wanting to be kind. And you know what? Here's the battle that you and I face. Every family, every team, every church, there's a battle toward pettiness. Let me tell you, I've walked away from some petty conversations this week. I think I even started one of them. And I walked away while they stayed petty. My fault, my bad, sorry. But man, when there's not a dream and a vision and something better, we're drawn to pettiness. Can I just challenge somebody? Walk away from pettiness and go toward what matters. And you know what matters? Compassion and kindness. Start serving. You want to break a church organization? Now come here and sit here and soak it in and ask, how are we meeting your needs? And then judge us. And then walk away like an American Idol judge and critique us. You can do that. Or you can find a faith community here or somewhere else so you can jump in and roll up your sleeves and get a serving towel and a basin and water and serve. And serving breaks the back of pettiness. And I'm so glad that Paul's saying, hey, you know what looks good on you? You know, you know what looks good on you when you're compassionate. We've been joking with Nick Crawford. He's made the news a couple of times lately uh, just because he's there on the spot. And it just, it looks good on us when we are there, when we hurt for people who are hurting. It looks good on you. Humi humility and meekness and patience. And he says, Love and forgiveness, nothing is more thought about, nothing we worry more about, nothing we crave and ache and long for more than love, nothing uh, that poets and philosophers and preachers, songwriters, singers talk about more than love. Abstract, subtract it from life, from a movie, from a relationship, it's, it's nothing. And love is everything the Beatles would say, all you need is love. Foreigner would say, what's love got to do with it? Tina Turner saying about love. And, um, Pat Benatar, P Pat Benatar, love is a battlefield. Um, I, think of, I think of Whitney Houston. Well, a Google search I did a couple of days ago said one of the top five songs all time with love in the title is Whitney Houston. I will always love you. I think about people who've groups sung about love and I think of her and the loneliness and unlove that she felt the last days of her life. And Paul is saying, here's something that everybody needs. Here's something that we need to put on. And don't get too fancy. Don't get, don't get too advanced or sophisticated. We need love. And put that on. You know, love is hand in hand with forgiveness. Scripture teaches that. And psychologists, therapists are really cluing in on it. Forgiveness. Dallas Willard, my favorite writer, passed away a couple years ago in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He tells a story of being invited to speak at a graduation ceremony at Azusa Pacific University out where he lived. And at the ceremony, before the big ceremony, the, where the graduates uh, threw their cap and gown and were awarded, there was a private ceremony that had the president, John Wallace at the time of Azusa Pacific, with some distinguished alumni some administration, some faculty. Dallas Willard was there with his own wife. And he tells a story in Divine Conspiracy of the president, John Wallace, addressing uh, some of the students. And he put three in front of them. And he t told uh, the alumni and some faculty there, he said, these three are foregoing their uh, normal career path. 
And they're going to be serving under-resourced people in impoverished areas after graduation. He turned his back to the people that he addressed, to Dallas and his wife and others, and he turned toward the three students standing in front of him. And he looked at them, all three, and he said, somebody has given you a gift. Somebody you don't know has given you a gift. So the first person he said to this young man, somebody has forgiven your school debt of $70,000. To the next one, someone has forgiven your school debt of $105,000. To the third, someone has forgiven your school debt of $130,000. They don't want there to be any impediment to what you're going to do. Now imagine the life change. It was one of those, not a dry eye in the room. But imagine the release. And Dallas Willard writes, this is what I want to preach to you right now. He writes, quote, it was as if we all had experienced forgiveness when we watched that. And there's this great power in forgiveness. If you have anger and rancor and wrath towards someone, unresolved conflict, People don't want that. People aren't drawn toward that. It hurts bystanders. But when you see someone saying, hey, despite what we've done, despite what happened, despite what we've been through, I forgive. It's powerful. For some of you, I want to ask you, how long are you going to let that person that you don't even like, who's no longer living, who's not in your circle anymore, how long are you going to let that person cause you to be angry and bitter? And there's this gift central to the gospel. It's forgiveness. Someone you don't see has extended this great gift, and it's a release. It changes your future. So there's an old humanity, impurity, immorality, Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, slander, obscene talk. There's an old humanity, but there's this new identity of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forgiveness, and gratitude. Let me say one word about gratitude because Paul laces it in Colossians and I hadn't hit it enough. Here's a truth that someone shared with me years ago and I'm like, yes, more gratitude will not come from acquiring more things or experiences but from more of an awareness of God's presence and his goodness. And so this is harder for people that have acquired. This is harder for people. um, Look, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. It's a strength and then it's a weakness. And my weakness is new thrills, new experiences. I I can't wait to the next thing. I can't wait to get more of this. You don't have to be rich and getting richer for this to be applicable to you. But listen, we have to change the scorecard. Oh, I, oh, when I get this, when I get that promotion, when I get that job, when I get that next paycheck, when I get that relationship, when, I get, when, we, when we land this, when this happens, acquiring things and experiences, that's not going to produce more gratitude. But being aware of God's presence and his goodness. Three things from Colossians 3 as we round toward home. The first is let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You remember what old, wise, seen it all, done it all Solomon said about the heart? He said to guard it. And why did he say to guard it? I bet a lot of you know this. Everything flows from it. So I wonder what rules in your heart. It's really 
when our hearts are stirred that we find out what they contain. Let me say it again. It's when our hearts get stirred that we find out what they contain. What does your heart contain? What idol is it producing? Is it a dreaded decision? Is it a, a relationship? Is it, are you being pickpocketed by the past? What rules and reigns in your heart? One of my favorite writers uh, gives three choices generally in the heart. It's, it, it, can be gray, it can be guilt, it can be greed, or it can be grace. Only one of those leads to peace. And guilt is this, oh, I can't go there. I don't want to go back to my high school day. I don't want to go back to college. I don't want to go back to the person I was. I don't want to run into that person. What can wash away? I live with it. There's guilt for what I've done. And guilt aches for release. And the remedy and the only remedy is for forgiveness. Greed can grip our hearts. More, more, acquire, acquire. Or it can be grace. Experiencing his goodness, experiencing his presence regardless of what's happening, what is happening in your heart. A second thing besides let the peace of Christ rule in your heart is let the word of Christ shape your mind. My dad uh, graduated from Ole Miss in 1964, and he sent me a picture recently of a friend of his out west, and they won the Guinness Book World of Record, Guinness Book World Record uh, for how many people could fit in a Volkswagen Beetle. And you see that. I don't know the number. You can probably Google and find it out. One of these guys is his friend. I don't know if he's a seen or unseen friend in this, but that's a whole lot of people filling this little car. How much can you get in there? I wonder why they wanted to try. Why do you want a record? I would rather have oxygen. Let's fill it with as many people as we can. Let's cram it in. And there is, you've heard, nature abhors a vacuum. If it's an open car, an open heart, an open mind, like it's going to be filled with something. What are you filling? How much of God's Word can you get into you? Got to talk to a young man, younger man, who took a challenge that me and a couple of the pastors had issued a year or so ago of getting a systematic Bible reading plan to read the Bible through in a year and to memorize a verse a week. And he heard me in another message and he said, I've done that. And I only missed a few days over the last year plus. And a couple of those days I came back around and doubled up. But for the first time in my life, I've read the Bible systematically through. I've memorized a verse, 52 plus verses. And I did what you said one day. I was talking about the late Billy Graham who would say, read five Psalms and one proverb every day, every morning. Psalms will tell you how to get along with God and Proverbs will tell you how to get along with fellow man. And he was telling me the effects of letting the word of Christ shape his mind. How much can you get in there to fill? Hear it, read it, study it, memorize it, and meditate. What are you filling your mind with? Don't think scarcity, think abundance. Think of that Volkswagen being full of so much more than anyone could have asked or imagined. Jam it in there, not in an intellectual rote to memorize way, but in a way to shape you, to shape your thinking. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ 
shape your mind. And lastly, let the name of Christ determine your actions. In verse 17, the last of our verses today, Paul uh, said to them that whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? You see, back or today, names are just sometimes random. I like that name. Uh, couples will, in pregnancy, they'll read what to expect when you're expecting, and they'll start picking out names. And a lot of times, it's just a preference, an opinion, or something like that, something that sounds cute, that's different. Sometimes they're family names to tribute. But in biblical times, in Paul's day, names meant more, and names had a sense of this is not just uh, what people call you when they want your attention, but this is kind of, it's kind of who you are. Your name reflects who you are. And so Paul in that day, uh, we missed that in the English translation, but he's saying that in the name of Christ, according to the character of Christ, according to the identity of who Jesus is, do everything that you do. Now, here's what's true of us. We always look for loopholes. Hey, I'll do, I'll do it in the name of Jesus when I go to church today. I'll do it in the name of Jesus when I serve the city and help a flood victim. I'll do that. I'll do a few things in the name of Jesus. And Paul's saying, do everything, whatever you do. Do all those things. You're sleeping. When I was struggling with the lack of peace of mind and worries were getting the best of me, they were my bed bugs biting me at night and I was having trouble sleeping a friend of mine who mentored me i hope you have a mentor especially if you're young and he he said to me i have a, a few a questions i ask myself when i'm trying to go to sleep and the, I'm, I'm diverted toward the television or the computer but is it is it educational is it edifying is it essential or is it just entertaining you may want to turn it off give god your sleep sleep in the name of jesus let let him be your God and honor him in your sleep. In your waking, wake up as in the name of Jesus as Jesus would want you to. Several times in our 23-plus uh, years of marriage, Susan has told me, Robert, you remind me of Jesus. You wake up like Jesus, just so cheery and godly and everything. Wake up. Yeah. Wake up. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're awake right now. <laughs> a few of you are because you're very troubled by that. Wake up with him. Do that in the name of Jesus. Breakfast in the name of Jesus. If it's intermittent fasting, don't do that for long, I hear, or bacon and eggs. So a lot of you judge bacon and eggs. My grandmother, Mavis, died last year. She almost made it to 101 years old. She had bacon and eggs every morning for breakfast and an open Bible. But do that. You're driving. Let me ask you, if Jesus was in the passenger seat with you, would you drive any slower? Don't answer. I know the, I know the answer. You're shopping. If you did it in the name of Jesus, would you buy different things? Would you buy fewer things? Would you buy healthier things? Your household task, your relationships with other people, your work. We're going to talk about that. Colossians 3.23 next week. Can't wait. You're working. What about your worrying? A few years ago, scientists isolated, identified a gene. They call it the SLCA64. This is a gene that some of you were born with. It predisposes you to worry. How many of you are worried that you have that gene right now? You're wondering if you do. All right. Look, look at me. You got it. You got, the, you got it. If you're worried about it, you got it. But in your worrying, how can you worry better, worry less in the name of Jesus? Let 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ shape your mind and let, let the name of Christ determine your actions. A man, uh, let's call him Wilson, he grew up in church. He started going to church with his family when he was six years old. He's 67 now, and everybody in church knows about him, but no one in the church really knows him. He has great difficulty loving his wife. His uh, children, grown children, um, have never been able to speak with him freely and have no affection for him. He uh, judges people in the church. He's a harsh critic of all the leaders. Um, He turns his back on the poor, doesn't serve regularly. Somebody once went to Wilson, 67 years old, and asked him, Wilson, you sure are faithful and a great church man, but are you happy? Wilson, without smiling, said yes. And the man said, well, tell your face. Here's what I want to say. Wilson sang the songs and said the creeds, attended church, dropped in some money, and did some things that American church people do. But his life wasn't changed. He wasn't being renewed, as it says in Colossians 3, right? So old humanity, new identity, the key is being renewed. That's my favorite two words in that stretch, being renewed. But you see, Wilson wasn't being renewed. And here's the tragedy of it. Nobody in the church was surprised because nobody expected him to be transformed. The way of Jesus is remarkably different. It's entirely different. Peter leapt out of the boat and into the water, and and he lacked faith, and Jesus said, O ye of little faith. Peter was asked to pray with Jesus through the night in the garden of Gethsemane, and he fell asleep, and it caused Jesus to say, the spirit is willing, but the, the flesh is weak. And Peter talked all the time, opened his mouth, getting him in trouble. And Jesus said at one point, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter rushed and grabbed a sword from a soldier and cut off a soldier's ear. Marksmanship wasn't his thing. And Jesus attached the ear and apologized for Peter. And Peter said, I will not deny you even if all others do. That's an extra little statement of boasting. And he denied him three times before the sun came up. But Peter was the one that Jesus said, you're going to preach the first sermon sermon, and thousands got saved. A little tax collector named Zacchaeus was a greedy guy, and he became the poster boy for generosity. A five-time shacked-up woman became Jesus' first designated preacher. And a guy named Paul was the church's worst enemy, and he became its greatest champion. Wilsons are too common in churches. We need people who are being renewed. And that's what Jesus does. Look, that old humanity, you can leave that behind. That wardrobe doesn't look good on you. It doesn't flatter you. But this new identity, let me tell you, you can walk in it. Let me pray for us. As I pray, there's going to be a little bit of a... a, commotion or motion, I should say, as our worship team comes up to lead us in our closing song and ushers will get ready as we take up our tithes and offerings. And so a few things going on, a lot of movement, but I want to ask you to give what you've heard to God.
I got a preaching buddy named Mike Bro, and he talks about, he wrote a book called Identity, you know, that old humanity. He says that we let things trip us up. Sometimes we're pickpocketed by our past or we're stolen by success or robbed by our relationships. We're mugged by the mirror, he says. Jesus offers a different way that we would take our identity from him, the one who loves us completely, who has forgiven us freely. You have been released.